Hello, everyone. Welcome back. This week is Pasha's Vaira, and we're going to continue with the Halachas of Hadlakas Neris, and this is part three. When a woman lights the Shabbos candle, she's automatically Mechavel Shabbos. Now, actually, this is a Mechlaikis, and the Shulchanar brings two opinions, whether a woman is Mechavel Shabbos or not, and whether it helps to make a condition before lighting that you are not in Kabbalah Shabbos. So let's take this one step at a time. In a typical situation, when you're lighting without any condition, just lighting, so then you're in Kabbalah Shabbos automatically. Some say that already by making the bracha on the candles, just the bracha alone, you're in Kabbalah Shabbos. And that's why the minig is to light the candles first and then make a bracha. Why? Because were you to make the bracha first, it would be prohibited to light the candles because simply by making the bracha, you've already been Mechabal Shabbos. So that's why we light the candles first and then make the bracha. Although usually the halacha is you do the bracha before you do a mitzvah. You know, like you make a bracha before you eat matzah, you make a bracha before you shake lulav and nasrik. But over here, you have no choice. And that's why you first light the candles and then make the bracha. But this is also why you're supposed to cover your eyes before making the bracha so that you aren't benefiting from the light yet. So that at least in that way, the bracha is still considered as if it's being made before the hadlaka. The minig was even not to blow out the match, just to put it down and let it go out by itself. Because once you finish lighting the candles, that also might be your Kabbalah Shabbos, and you're not allowed to blow out the match. And there's also a Kabbalistic reason not to blow out the match, rather shake it out. But in any case, only do what's safe, obviously. So put it out in the safest way possible. So this is standard Hadlaka procedure. Now, interestingly, on Yantiv, this whole issue isn't really a problem since on Yantiv you're permitted to light candles, right? It's not like Shabbos. You're allowed to light a candle on Yantiv, so who cares what order you do? You're allowed to light candles even if you are Makabal Yantiv. And on the second day Yantiv, you actually are lighting the candles on Yantiv. So is there any reason not to make the bracha first? I mean, shouldn't you follow the usual rule to make the bracha first when you're on Yantiv, like we do all by all mitzvahs? So it's fascinating that this is a machlaikis between two very unusual people. One is the wife of the Sefer Meir Sanaim, known by his acronym, the Simah, who wrote a commentary on Shulchan Aruch, printed in our volumes of Shulchan Aruch. And his wife was a great tzaddikist and very pious and also very learned. And she's quoted by her children when they write an introduction to the commentary, and they just quote this as an example of her great erudition. So her words are brought down by the Magan Avram, another commentary on Shulchan Aruch, who disagrees with her. So what does she say? So she says that on Yantiv, you actually do flip the order. You make the bracha first. Because there's no problem. Who cares you're Mechabal if You're still a lot of light. So make the bracha first. That's what the wife of the Samas said. The Magan Avram says no. Light plug, which means we don't differentiate in practice of mitzvahs. We try to keep it uniform so to, as to reduce mistakes. So therefore, being that on Shabbos, we'll always make, um, we'll, we'll light first and then make the bracha. So we won't defer, differentiate on Yantiv and we'll do the same thing will light the candles and make the bracha first, which I imagine is probably your custom. I think that's pretty much the accepted custom. In, in, uh, in halacha, though, other commentaries on Shulchan Aruch disagree with the Magad Abraham and agree with the wife of the Smas. So it's fascinating about Chalikis, where, where it's, it's rare that, that um, women are, are quoted as a specific opinion in, uh, in Shulchan Aruch. It's, it's uh, very interesting. But regardless, 
we, we do that's what you do on Shabbos and Yantiv is that you make the you make you um, light for it and then make a bracha. Now, being that you're a mekabel Shabbos with hadlaka, let's say you're planning on davening mincha, you need to do that before you light because once you are mekabel Shabbos, it's like it's night already and you can't daven a mincha a weekday mincha anymore. The Mishnah Brura strongly suggests the rather light on time. And then just daven two maris a little later after Shkia, rather than delay your hadlaka in order to daven mincha first. If you have time, fine, daven mincha. If you don't have time, don't push off hadlaka's nares to daven mincha. Just do the hadlaka's nares on time and daven two maris. Obviously, you do have the option of making it tonight. You can make a condition that you're not Makabo Shabbos, and then, as we'll see, you're not, and you certainly could then daven mincha after hadlaka because it's not Shabbos yet. The Hadlaka only obligates the woman to be Mikabal Shabbos. The rest of the household can continue doing Malacha until this man. But nevertheless, it's advised to have everybody be Mikabal Shabbos. Buy Hadlaka's nares. Have all the children be Mikabal Shabbos then, so that they are Mikhaim the mitzvah of Tesefah Shabbos. They're adding some extra time to Shabbos. And they're also keeping a healthy distance from doing Malacha after Shkia. If let's say, you have a need to do mulacha after hadlaka. For example, you're eating at night a significant different distance from where you sleep, and you don't want to have to walk both directions. You want to be able to go there with a car and then walk back. So then you can light with a tonight. It means you make a condition before you light, and you're supposed to speak this out, although it works even without speaking it out. It works in your mind as well, but you should speak this out and say that I'm not being metabol Shabbos while lighting Neris. And after making this condition, you can permit it to do a malacha. But even this is a machlaikis. So even though the halacha is, as I said, you could make a condition and it works, but it's ideal if you can avoid doing real malacha because let's say all you want to do is get driven somewhere so you can have the person open the door, car door for you and you don't really have to do any malacha. Obviously, if you have to drive yourself, then that's not an option. But if you can avoid doing a malacha, it's better to try to do that if you can. But if you don't make it tonight and you, you lit your nearest, all malach is then prohibited. And even if you forgot to put food in the oven, it isn't allowed to be done after hadlaka. It's already Shabbos for you. And rather ask one of your children, who as mentioned earlier hasn't been the Kabbalah Shabbos automatically, to do the malacha. Or, or likewise, even if the candles blow out, you can't relight them. Rather ask someone who hasn't been the Kabbalah Shabbos. You can ask directly in that case without any need to, um, to hint, because this is, uh, they're, 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 they're Jews, they're not Goyim, and they weren't Mechabal Shabbos yet, so in this situation, you can ask directly, there's no need to beat around the bush. So, once again, to summarize, if you write Neris typically without any Tanai, you're Mechabal Shabbos, immediately, possibly even by the Bracha, so therefore we light the Neris first, then make the Bracha, which we do on Yontif as well, so as not to differentiate. And then you're Mechabal Shabbos, and once you're Mechabal Shabbos, you truly can't do Malacha, but the rest of your household could, although you should encourage them not to. And if you make it tonight, you, it does work. You should speak it out and say you're not being Mechabal Shabbos, and then you can do Malacha afterwards. And uh, ideally, if you can avoid doing real Malacha, that's better. In this week's Pasha, Pasha Zaira, has all the Makkah, it's a very, very loaded Pasha. But Hashem tells Moshe initially to go to Pare and inform him that he will hit the Nile with his staff, there's Moshe talking, and the water will turn to blood, which is, as we know, Makazam. When the, when the actual time comes, then interestingly, Hashem tells Moshe to tell Aaron to hit the Nile with his staff. Not Moshe, Aaron. Why the change? Why couldn't Moshe do it? 
So Rashi famously explains that since the Nile River protected Moshe when he was cast into it by his mother, therefore it couldn't be struck by him, not by Makizam and not by Makizam And therefore, Aaron was the one to hit it. Likewise, by Kinim, when you had to hit the earth so it should turn into life, Moshe didn't strike the dust. Why? Because the earth helped him. By hiding the mystery, when he killed him, he hid him in the ground. Now, thinking about this for a moment, it's hard to understand from many angles. Number one, the river is inanimate, and it does what it does without thinking or choosing. It, it simply is. Uh, in particular, what it did here for Moshe was kind of the opposite. Of what it was—it was trying to drown Moshe, which is more the natural thing a river will do. But regardless, it saved him to some extent. But it did it in a very inanimate fashion. How can one have an ob- obligation of a karasa type to a river? And second, we know that the creations of this world are dying to do the will of Hashem and bring Kiddush Hashem to the world. Turning into blood would have been one of the greatest displays of Hashem's power. Wouldn't the river be honored to play that part? We find the stones around Yaakov's head were fighting for the chance to support the Tzadik's head. And thirdly, Aaron wasn't a dead to the river. Aaron could hit the river. What do you think Aaron drank? The Nile River is the exclusive water source of Egypt. So Aaron had as much of a life debt to the river as Moshe Rabbeinu did. Now, I'm not sure I have the correct answer to these questions, but here's a thought, and the thought is, is basically a true thought. Of Chaim Shemulevitz discusses this. We, we find in Parashas Pinchas that Moshe Rabbeinu is commanded by Hashem to go and take revenge on Midian. Midian did a terrible thing. They sent women to seduce Klai Yisrael. They caused the death of 22,000 Jews of Shevet Shimon. But what does Moshe Rabbeinu do? He sends Pinchas in his place to wage the war. So the Medrash asks, what's up here? How, how can you do this? Hashem commanded you to go. How can you hand it over to another person? So the Medrash answers that Moshe said, I simply can't do it. I have a tremendous Hakarasa type to Midian because they harbored me when I was a fugitive from Paroi all those years. I can't be the one to lead the war. And Ochan Shmulavitz points out that just to understand what's going on here, look at the depth of the obligation of Akaras HaTayv, the obligation to, to be grateful. It's so powerful, so encompassing that the obligation alone forced Moshe to reinterpret the, com- the command of Hashem. And he had to say, it must mean something else. It must mean I, I need to send someone in my place. It was almost like the obligation of Akaras HaTayv was like one of the Yud Gimel Midas, one of the, the, the methods we are given how to interpret the Torah. Hakar Satayv is sufficient to explain the Torah differently. Now the meaning of this is that Hakar Satayv is at the root of all obligations that exist. Why do we have to listen to Hashem to begin with? When you think about it, I mean, He can force us to, to do His will, certainly, but why are we expected to do it willingly? And the reason is, as the Chayvis Havavah says, because of Hakar Satayv. It's that obligation that is the source of all obligations. Hashem created us, He sustains us, He feeds us, He clothes us, He houses us, He gives us children, husband, wife, parents, siblings, happiness, and most of all, He gives us the opportunity to serve Him. And that creates a tremendous obligation of Hakar Satayv, which is the root obligation, the foundation of our chiyu to listen to Hashem. So it's impossible that there would be a contradiction between Hakar Satayv and a commandment of Hashem that would be like self-destructive. The whole obligation to listen stems from Akar Satayv. It's, it's a sacred and powerful obligation. So it has to work. They have to work together as the most powerful obligation that can be. And if you look closely at the language of the Medrash here, Moshe says, I can't do it because I feel indebted to Midian 
for harboring me all those years. Meaning, the obligation of Akar type is a very personal and intimate obligation. The closer something is to a person, the specific it is to him, the greater obligation of Akar type. If someone does something which benefits thousands or maybe hundreds of thousands of people, so they do have an obligation of Akar type, but it's one kind of obligation. But you can't compare that. When someone does something specifically for, for you, goes out of his way, goes out of her way to help you, to feed you, to clothe you, they did it something special for you that's a tr- much greater and, and a tremendous level of Hakar Satayf. So Moshe didn't stop the war, and he certainly facilitated the war against Midian, but he had a personal benefit given to him by Midian, and he couldn't betray that. Likewise here, Moshe had a personal favor done to him by the Nile. Everybody drank from it. But that was a different kind of obligation, a different level of Akar Satayv. And ac- according to that level of Akar Satayv, it was better for the river to turn into blood. It would be a greater Kiddush Hashem. But the Nile River was special to Moshe. He had a feeling of Akar Satayv to it because Moshe was such an elevated and perfect person. He had such a deep space level of Akar Satayv to such a fine and perfect pinpoint of a degree that that feeling of Akadosh Tatai was expressed towards the river and it was Kiddush HaKadoshim. And Moshe could not be the one to strike the river. And this is a fascinating point made in this parasha, which at first seems like in a very incidental lesson, the lesson of Akadosh Tatai, but upon further examination, it's clear that this lesson of Akadosh Tatai is central to the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. I, I heard a wonderful share from someone named Rabbi Lazar Meisels where he develops this concept, and I'd like to share some of that with you. If we look carefully, we see that the primary claim that Tyra has against all of Mitzrayim and against a number of individual Egyptians is that there is a chronic lack of Akarasatayf. The whole country is castigated for forgetting Yosef forgetting what he did for them, and Pari in particular, choosing to overlook what Yosef did for him personally. He made it as if he didn't know who Yosef was. And this was the root of their sin, which brought them to the horrific deeds they did later, murdering babies by the thousands in a cruel and heartless fashion. And what did it start with? A lack of Akar Satayf. The Sarah Mashkin is held up as a poster child. Chazal say, look, this is what Mitzrayim are all about. They're worthless, untrustworthy, undependable. Rahav is this term used to describe them because they lack a very core element of humanity, one which all goodness is based upon, all trust, and that's the obligation of Akar Satayv. Friendship, family, relationships, they're built upon that sense of responsibility to, to those who do so much good for you, not to betray them. And the Egyptians were simply bali mumin in this respect. They didn't have it. It was a flaw in their character. And look where it led them. They murdered babies. The savior of Kali Yisrael, Moshe Rabbeinu, had to be a perfect paradigm of Akar type. It was that Mida that gave him power over the Egyptians. Kali Yisrael themselves had to wipe out all traces of this Egyptian failing out of their system. This character floor had to be erased. And Hashem gives us many mitzvahs to accomplish just that. And he, Rabbi Meisels, went through many examples during time. But he quotes, were even required to show respect and gratitude to the Egyptians themselves. There's a mitzvah, after three generations, we have to accept them into our families. And we have to always treat them nicely. 
Why? Because they harbored us. Well, they also killed our babies. They enslaved us. They tortured us. They oppressed us, not to mention some other things. But the terror doesn't, doesn't care. Terror holds us to the obligation of Akara Satayif because we lived in their country. We start the day with the word Moida Ani. It has to be at the very root. It's the base, the foundation of our whole Avedis Hashem, of every day. Moida. We admit, we thank, we praise Hashem for giving us life, the greatest of opportunities, the greatest gift, the greatest happiness. And all of our service comes as a result of that understanding. So what seems to be a trivial point in Rashi is in truth central to the lesson of Yitzhiyah's Mitzrayim. What an important thing to never forget to work on, to think about, and bring close to our hearts. We have such a huge and beautiful debt to Hashem. And think about it. What does He want from us? He just wants us to utilize it to our best advantage. He wants us to be successful through serving Him. And that's how we show our Karas by doing what's best for our Neshama. Think, what makes parents happy? What makes every person as a parent the happiest? What's the most nachas? when they see their children successful, utilizing the talents they have and the gifts that their parents gave them and the lessons that they taught them. When they utilize it, when they, they use it to their fullest, that's what makes us happy. That's how they can show true Akarsa type to us by not wasting what they have, by not wasting what we've given, us, given them. And that's exactly how Hashem wants us to show Akarsa type to Him. And that's how we start. Moida Ani. Our whole life, our whole day is full of that point. Maida, we have that obligation, that feeling of, 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 of responsibility to show Hakarat Have a good night and a good Shabbos.